Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. The only scars that will be seen in heaven are the scars on our Savior demonstrating our redemption, and the price of our redemption, and declaring throughout eternity that our God is good. He's only good. Taking our Bibles this morning and turning, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, continuing a series that we began last Sunday morning on the Christian's crowns. And so we open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says in verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. After the rapture of the church, there are two appointments that every Christian will keep. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10 makes it clear that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give account of the things done in our bodies, whether they be good or whether they be bad. The second appointment that we'll keep is much more wonderful. The book of the Revelation, the 19th chapter, tells us, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Last week, we took the time to introduce the concept of the judgment seat of Christ. And we discovered that it's not a place where the Christian's sins are revealed. Romans chapter 8 gives us that confidence. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. It is, however, a place where believers' works of service are reviewed. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 reminds us in verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time till the Lord come. Who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of the heart? And then will every man have praise of God. Now, the New Testament promises that believers can receive crowns at the judgment seat of Christ. Revelation chapter 4 speaks of believers gathering before the Lord Jesus Christ and casting their crowns before Him as they declare, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure all things were created. So we ask the question this morning as we open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Believer, will you have crowns to cast at the feet of your Savior, the one who loved you and gave Himself for you? We open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we learn of one of the crowns that believers can receive at the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. If I therefore so run, rather, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, 
I myself should be a castaway. I want to focus this morning on the incorruptible crown. The incorruptible crown. As introduced to us in the end of verse 25, they do it for a corruptible crown, but we, an incorruptible crown, often called the victor's crown. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into His Word. Father, I pray that as we consider this crown that the Apostle Paul was striving to receive, we too would be challenged with a desire of heart to receive that same crown, the victor's crown, the incorruptible crown. Challenge us this morning, Lord. Help us to better run the race that you've set before us. Send us out from this place knowing that you're good, and because you're good, we should serve you boldly and joyfully. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. They called him the Flying Dutchman. Against all odds, he took a gold medal in the 1926 Paris Olympics. His name, of course, was Eric Little. Eric Little was born in China. His parents served as missionaries in China. As he went to the University of Edinburgh in his home country of Scotland, his talent for running was discovered. For five years, Eric Little was the Scottish champion in the 100-yard and 200-yard dash. Eric was an unorthodox runner. When he ran, his head was face toward heaven, his eyes up to the sky, his arms were flailing and his legs were dancing. And when the people asked him, how do you know when you're, where you're going when you're looking up like that? He said, God guides me. Eric Little was selected to represent Great Britain to run the 100 meters in the Olympic Games. He was stunned when the schedule for the preliminary rounds or the preliminary dashes was placed on a Sunday. I'm not running, he said, and he didn't. He was unwilling to, in his mind, desecrate the Lord's Day by doing something so frivolous as running to go through the various stages and find himself in the end rounds of the 100-yard dash. Instead of running, on Sunday, July 6th, Eric, Eric preached in a church in Paris as the 100-meter dash preliminary trials were being hosted. He wasn't there. By the way, there are many people who could learn from Eric Little's example the day in which we live today where the Lord's Day has been so demeaned and so diminished and so little valued as to put, it seems, almost anything before assembling with God's people. Three days later, Eric finished a very unexpected third in the 220-meter sprint. He received a bronze medal. Having won the bronze, he entered the 400-meter. Now, he was a short sprinter, and so it was not expected that he would even contend in the 400-meter, which is quite a lengthy race. Quietly, however, Eric began to proceed through the preliminary rounds until he found himself running in the finals. Of course, not expecting to do very well, he went to each other participant in the finals, shaking their hands, congratulating them that they were on that line to run that race. And when the gun sounded, Eric Little took off, head bobbing, arms failing. As he went along the way, his legs dancing, he ran a 47.6 second 400. He finished five meters ahead of anyone else in the contest, and he won the gold. 
Best of all, he kept his testimony. When asked the secret of his success, Eric responded, I ran the first 200 as fast as I could, and then I ran the second 200 even faster. The year after the Olympics, Eric Little returned to China as a missionary. In 1932, he was ordained. In 1943, he was married. He traveled throughout China, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, until in 1943, he, along with many other missionaries in China who were there with the China Inland Mission, were arrested. He was placed with Japanese prisoners at the time in an internment camp, a prison camp. There in that prison camp, he was chosen to be a Bible teacher, a math teacher, and to help the other prisoners with physical education. In order to be prepared for the job, he was up early every morning studying his Bible. January of 1945, Eric Little died of a brain tumor in an internment camp in China. He was 43 years of age. The nurse who spoke to Eric Little just before he collapsed, heard him say, it's complete surrender. Scotland mourned the loss of a national hero. Heaven rejoiced at the arrival of a man who kept the faith. In his lifetime, Eric Little won the Olympic prize. But more than that, I believe he won the heavenly prize. As an athlete, Eric persevered against all odds and won the Olympic gold. As a Christian, Eric Little persevered in the power of the Holy Spirit and I believe won a more impressive prize. You see, Eric Little's ultimate desire was to win the incorruptible crown. I have a question for you today. How are you progressing toward winning the heavenly prize? Now, I know that it's very unlikely that any of us in this room will ever win an Olympic gold, but you can win a crown incorruptible. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 says, So run that you may obtain. The Spirit of God, you see, wants each of us to run for the prize, to receive the incorruptible crown at the judgment seat of Christ. We've opened our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to the church at Corinth. Now, the Olympic Games were hosted in Athens, but the Isthmian Games were hosted in Corinth. Corinth, after all, was a very Grecian city. Paul knew the city of Corinth very well, having spent 18 months there planting the church that he is now addressing. He understood the Grecian passion for all things athletic. And so he uses imagery from the Grecian games, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to place before every believer by the Spirit of God a great challenge. As we open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we really can't understand this text unless we understand just a little bit about the Isthmian games. The Isthmian games that were hosted in Corinth were hosted every three years. They were held in honor of Poseidon, the god of the sea. Those who competed in the Isthmian Games would receive a crown. It was made from the leaves, the branches rather, of a a spruce tree, which was said to be special to those who worshipped Poseidon. At the Isthmian Games, there was someone who was there who ran the games. That person was called a kerux. The Greek word kerux means herald. 
So it was the herald, the Kerux, who was in charge of things. He would call together the athletes. And specifically, when he called together the athletes, when they were about to compete, he would announce to the crowd who the athletes were, and then he would ask, is there anyone who can give charge against these athletes that would disqualify them from running in this race? You see, participants in the Isthmian Games lived by very strict regiments. Each participant was selected from his community after going through preliminary runs or preliminary feats in their own sport. But specifically to the Isthmian Games, they had to be freeborn Greek citizens. To participate in the Isthmian Games meant that you were not only selected, but that you put yourself into a place of training for nine months. All of the athletes in the Isthmian Games went to a common housing place, if you would, to the dormitories that were called the Agonai. Yes, we get our word agony from the Isthmian Games. They were recruited. They moved into the Agonai, the Agonomai, and we find reference to that here in verse 25 where the Apostle Paul says, and every man that striveth, there's the word agonai, that goes into the place of striving, strives for the mastery. The athletes would endure months of training in the agonomai where they were trained in the gymnasium. There's another word that we know. They were in the interior places of the agonai in the gymnasium. Two trumpets were sounded every day. In the months of preparation for the games, the first trumpet that was sounded alerted the athletes that it was time to wake up, to stretch, to oil their bodies, and to prepare. The second trumpet that would be sounded called them to begin their exercise regiments on a daily basis. And you ask yourself the question, why would anyone endure such a thing? Well, they were going to get a, a crown made out of a spruce tree. But they got something more than that. They also received recognition in their home community. There would be a parade in their honor. A statue would be made of them and placed in their hometown. Their children would always receive free education in the best of the Grecian schools and the best of all, no taxes for the rest of their lives. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. The Spirit of God uses the imagery of the Isthmian Games as a backdrop to challenge every Christian to compete for the prize. God wants all of us, every person in this room this morning, to be competing to receive the incorruptible crown. We're going to tear a page, if you will, out of the participants' playbook this morning as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we begin with a realization, a realization. In verse 24, know ye not? They which run in a race, run all. As the trumpet sounded in the gymnasium, the athletes were awakened. In verse 24, the Spirit of God seeks to awaken each of us. You're in a race. It's time to wake up. Don't you know that everyone that runs in a race runs all? Hey, truth is, there are a lot of Christians who need a wake-up call. They're living their lives without any consideration of eternity. They're failing to consider that every morning when the sun comes up, God gives us another opportunity to be involved in running the race to receive an incorruptible crown. And so there's a wake-up call, 
a wake-up call that prepares us for one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, to give account of the things that are done in our bodies. Friend, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're in a spiritual race. Hebrews chapter 12 says, beginning in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. We're to lay aside those sins that would so, thus so easily beset us and run that race, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down today at the right hand of the throne of, of God. Wake up, the Bible is saying, Christian. You're in a race, and soon the night is coming when no one can work and no one can race. Now, we need to be careful here. We need to realize it's important to understand that the race spoken of in this passage is not a race to earn salvation. Remember, to participate in the Isthmian Games, you had to first of all be born a Greek citizen. Even so, to run the race that's being spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this Christian race, you have to be born again. You see, it's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to His mercy He saves us. To run the Isthmian Games, you had to be born a Grecian citizen. To run the Christian race, you need to be born again. Jesus said it this way, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's important to understand. We're not running the race in order to enter heaven. Those who are entering heaven are running the race in order to receive crowns in heaven, to place at the feet of the Savior, the only one who indeed is worthy. It's important to realize also that the race spoken of here is not a race against others. Remember, Corinthians says, if we compare ourselves among ourselves, we are not wise. I appreciate what we read in verse 24. Look at it again. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye... Now, if you're reading from a King James Version, here the word ye is an important word to keep in mind because the word ye is the plural form in the English language. So he's saying, all of you run to attain. The truth of the matter is the crowns are available to every Christian who's willing to strive. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, I fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. How's it finished? And not for me only, but for all those who love His appearing. We'll look at that crown later on in this series. But the point is this. The crown's available for all of us. So watch now. This passage moves from a realization to a responsibility. In verse 24, so run that you may obtain. Perhaps this morning as you look at your heart, you'd have to say, I'm not really running. Maybe you've become discouraged. Maybe you've become distracted. Perhaps you've distanced yourself from the Lord or from the fellowship with His people. Hebrews chapter 12 challenges us, lift up those hands that are hanging down and your feeble knees. Perhaps you'd have to confess this morning, I don't seem to have the joy of the Lord that I once had. I'm struggling to find purpose in my Christian life. I don't have the spiritual strength that I ought to have. Could it be because you've placed yourself on the sidelines? Remember, James chapter 5 says in verse 11, Behold, we count them happy 
which endure. There's no happiness in sitting out. There's doldrums there. Those who are spiritually happy are those who run so that they might obtain. It was 7 p.m. on the 20th of October back in 1968. The Olympic Stadium in Mexico City was pretty much empty. The temperature was beginning to drop there in the high altitude. The runners were being assisted to the first aid places. After all, the Olympic champion in the marathon, Mamo Wadi of Ethiopia, had already won the race, 26 miles, 385 yards. People were out of the stands. It was over, it seemed, but then police sirens were heard, and people began to look, and as they looked over toward the entrance of the Olympic Stadium, John Stephen Aquari was coming in. He was coming into the stadium with a bandaged, bloodied leg. The sparse crowd that was there to applaud him were applauding for the person who took last place. Early on in the marathon, he had fallen, and when John fell, he got up and continued to run. He was from Tanzania. When they looked at the damage he'd done to his leg, people marveled that he'd continued to run even though he'd come in in last place. And they asked, you're badly hurt. Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you sit out? His response became famous. He said, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish this race. Dear friend, your Lord has given you this one lifetime. Finish the race. Don't quit. The Spirit of God is saying, be responsible. Run. Run. Run that you may obtain. Now, there's a restriction that we have to notice in this text. Verse 25 says, now every man that striveth, there's the word agonai. Every word that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. The word temperate means to be self-controlled. And just as those who participated in the Isthmian games were required to be disciplined, the Spirit of God is saying to us as believers, if you're going to win this race, you've got to be disciplined. And when we ask the question, well, what does that mean? How am I to be disciplined in my spiritual race? Look what Paul says in verse 26, I therefore so run. Paul holds himself up as an example. He says, this is how I'm running. So it's wise for us to look back and see how is Paul testified with regard to how he's running. Come back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and look at the 13th verse. We see just a little window into how Paul was running his race to receive the incorruptible crown, beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 13. In the 13th verse, Paul says, if meat make my brother offend, I'll eat no flesh while the world standeth. In other words, Paul says, in order to win this race, I'm willing to change my dietary habits. Now, he's speaking in the spiritual, of course. He's saying there are some things that I'm willing to give up. And he's talking about it even physically. He says, if I'm eating meat that was taken at the shambles, then it causes somebody to be offended Hey, I'll change my dietary habits. I've got a race that I've got to win. In chapter 9 and verse 5, Paul reveals that he's serving the Lord as a single man. He was allowed to get married, but he was serving as a single man. 
he says in verse 4, have we not power to eat and to drink? He says, you don't understand already that I've changed my dietary habits. Not that I was required to do so, but that God required me to do so in order to win my race. Have we not power to lead about a sister or wife as well as the other apostles, like the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? He says, I know Peter is married. I know the brothers of Jesus are married. I've chosen not to be married. Why? He's in a race. He knows that that relationship at this point in his life might slow him down, and so he's choosing not to marry. He goes on and he says in verse 6, Or I only and Barnabas, have we not power to forbear working? Paul and Barnabas were continuing in ministry while continuing to work. Paul was making tents as he carried about his missionary endeavors. So what's he saying here? Listen, listen, he's saying, I changed my dietary habits. Though I could have been married, I haven't been married. I've stayed single. I keep working to support the ministry that I'm in. And we ought to be asking the question, so Paul, what motivated you to to change your diet? Because I need that kind of motivation. He was motivated because he knew in that era that if he ate some of the things that were being offered, other people would be offended and never come to Christ. Paul, what, what kept you from marrying? Well, he knew he had a limited time, and the Spirit of God had commissioned him to bring the gospel to parts of the world where it would be a, unlikely that he could bring a wife with him. Paul, what, what, what was it that, that kept you from, from living by the free will offerings of others? Instead, you were making tents, Paul said in verse 23. This I do for the gospel's sake. These very important decisions in his life were all motivated by the gospel. The gospel motivated him to make some dietary changes, not to get married and to continue working. What's the gospel motivating you to do? We're in an era that talks much about the gospel. Here's a question for those who like to talk much about the gospel. What has the gospel required of you? What have you given up for the gospel's sake? The Apostle Paul is clearly saying, I've given up some of the comforts of this world for the gospel's sake. Are you willing to give up some of your comforts for the gospel's sake? Are you willing to give up some of the negative relationships that could slow you down for the gospel's sake? Are you willing to work to the point of exhaustion for the gospel's sake? Listen, it is very foolish to demand our liberties when we're in the gymnasium. Those who are involved in seeking after the incorruptible crown find it a very foolish debate to say, I have these liberties and I'm going to hold on to these liberties. As long as I live, you can't tell me that I have to give anything up. No, whoa, 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 time out. If you want an incorruptible crown, there are some things that you're going to find along the way that will slow you down. Lay aside every weight, Hebrews 12, and the sin that does so easily beset you. There's a foolish debate that's going on in evangelical Christendom today, and the debate goes like this. I can have my fire escape to heaven. I've received the gospel. I've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, but that doesn't mean I have to change anything in my lifestyle. After all, we have liberty. Isn't that grace, Pastor Phelps? No, that's foolishness. When we lose our liberties, we expand our ministries. Paul is a living testimony of giving these things up for the gospel's sake. There were decisions that he made along the pathway of his life that he knew would expand the gospel outreach. And he decried those who did not understand this wisdom. He said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 21, in sorrow, all seek their own. How sad 
Yet, sadly, how very true of many. The Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his disciples saying, take up your cross, not your easy chair, and follow me. Taking up your cross to follow Jesus may require that you're going to grant forgiveness to somebody that you've held a grudge against for a long time for the gospel's sake. Taking up your cross and following him may require that you wake up a little earlier rather than sleeping in so you can have some time in God's word and preparing yourself to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Taking up your cross and following him may require that Sundays and time in church becomes a higher priority than it's been up to today. Taking up your cross and following him may mean that you actually get serious about the ministry of giving. Dr. Lauren in his commentary on 1 Corinthians 9 said, this is an indulgent age. Pleasure-soaked moderns are degenerating our civilization. Along with it, we have too many soft Christians, too many who play fast and loose in the world. We need more discipline, more sacrifice. The world will never be won for Christ by Christians whose lace of consecration gives them no distinction from the world round about them. Are you living a life that's distinct from the world? Those who win an incorruptible crown learn that eternal ministry is expanded when earthly ministries are limited. Ministries are lost when we hold on and guard our liberties, when it's all about me and my pleasure and my comfort and not about him. The incorruptible crown is forfeited. There is in this text a realization we're in a race. We have a responsibility in that race and a restriction. And along with it comes this rigor. Look at verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beats the air. Paul moves us now from the Olympic track into the Olympic boxing ring. He says, I'm not fighting against the air. Those who participated in the Isthmian Games knew that there was no chance of winning if you weren't all in. Constant rigor for months of preparation. You had to be all in or you could not win. You cannot be uncertain. You cannot be a shadow boxer, Paul is saying here. So fight I not as one who beats the air. No, it's a real battle. You know, it's easy to imagine that we could win in the ring. Far more difficult to get in the ring and really win. In fact, Mike Tyson, who is the world heavyweight boxing champion, once said, everybody has a plan until he gets punched in the nose. A lot of truth in that. The Christian ought to consider that as well. I've got a plan to do this and do that, and then bam! And we wake up in our fog and we say, how did that happen? Somebody made a comment that caused me to lose step in my race. Somebody did this to me, or this temptation was overwhelming me. That gut punch of disappointment that causes us along the way to give up on the rigors. This isn't a shadow boxing campaign. There's one final consideration that all of us need to take seriously in this passage. It has to do with the risk. The Apostle Paul was ever aware of this. He says in verse 27, I keep under my body, I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. It's fascinating to hear the Apostle Paul here confessing this 
missionary church planter, this one who saw the resurrected Savior, he recognizes something that you and I need to recognize. He recognizes that his, his bodily passions could cause him spiritual disqualification. I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means when I have preached, there's the word kerugs. That's the leader of the Isthmian Games. Paul says, I myself have been that kerugs. I have been the herald who has called others into the race, who's blown the trumpet and made sure, but I have to consider myself, he says. As I look at my own life, I don't want to be a castaway. A dakamas. Remember what the Kerux does? As the people step to the line before the gun is sounded, he cries out to the assembly, is there anyone here that can say this one is disqualified? That's the word, a dakamas. Paul says, I don't want myself to be disqualified. So to avoid being disqualified, what do I do? I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. I'm very careful about where I go, about what I do, about what habits fester in upon my life. I have a crown to win. It's an incorruptible crown, and one of the greatest enemies I have is the enemy of my own body. So I bring it into subjection. I don't want at last to be a docomas. When Jim Thorpe famously won gold in the decathlon and the pentathlon, he was in Sweden, and King Gustav of, Gustav rather, of Sweden said, you, sir, are the greatest athlete in the world. Sadly, Thorpe's medals would be taken away from him when, he, when it was discovered that he had made a meager amount of money playing as a semi-professional, and he was disqualified. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, aloud together. Ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, down through verse 27. Let's emphasize in our hearts, O God, help me to win the incorruptible crown. All together aloud, know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. God places before us an opportunity to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and win the incorruptible crown. You may never win an Olympic race, but here's a race you can win. You need to realize you're in a race. You need to be responsible. Run. Run so that you may obtain. Yes, there are restrictions along the way for every man that striveth for the mastery. is temperate in all things. You need to be rigorous. Don't run uncertainly. Don't simply beat the air. And remember, the greatest risk of disqualification may come from within. So may God help us to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.